This episode is about water, and specifically water and sanitation. We'll try to answer why so many colonial cities in the developing world do not have piped water. Historian Pratik Chakrabarthi told us colonial cities were not properly planned and built to support their huge populations. If you can imagine cities like an organism, then pipes carrying water and sewage would be like arteries and veins. Except in many parts of old cities, this infrastructure is just completely missing. He is an acclaimed historian and the chair in History of Science and Medicine at the University of Manchester in the UK. This is a bonus episode called Chatroom on Scrolls and Leaves. I'm Mary Rose. And I'm Gayatri. So let's start at the beginning, all the way back in the 1800s. Cholera spread around the world, carried by dirty water contaminated with sewage. No one knew how to stop it at first. Tens of millions of people died. The disease thrived, especially among the poor. It exposed uh, the living conditions of the poor. It's only when people start dying out of a terrible disease that many European urban planners suddenly became aware that it's a condition of life in these urban slums. So, Pratik, what did the Europeans do to stop cholera in the poor places? And what about the British? What did they do when cholera was running rampant in India? I know they didn't really quarantine anyone within the country, except they stopped Indians who were going to Europe and quarantined them. So what did they do in India when faced with just huge numbers of deaths? When cholera was identified as a water supply, cities like London, New York built massive infrastructure for piped water. Calcutta, which is considered one of the hotbeds of cholera outbreak in the 19th century, so the, what the British tried to do, they established a dual water supply system, which is unprecedented. You will not hear about dual water supply systems in New York or in London or in Paris. A city like Calcutta in the 19th century uh, had a white city and a black city. So the white city is where the Europeans lived and the black city is where the local Indians lived. So what we did is the river water is filtered and then passed on to certain households. There's another water supply, which is unfiltered water. So that unfiltered water went to the black city. So the citizens living in the black city collected water from the local ponds, the same water that is used for multiple purposes. And I'm not going into the details of it, but you can imagine what I mean by that. So even, even now, if you travel in Calcutta, you will find the people who are called bhistis who collect water from these local pumps, which are unfiltered and distributing it in different households. So that legacy of a supply system of unfiltered water continues. And then there's a story about Rabindranath Tagore, who was a famous Bengali poet, who's a son of a very rich, wealthy uh, landlord family. Their house was in the rich part of the city, in the white city. So their house had a piped water supply. You know, he was a small child when the piped water supply started. Earlier, they would have their servants carrying water from the ponds or the local rivers. But he writes about it as he wakes up one morning and goes to his father's bathroom. And he suddenly realizes that he can turn a tap and the water starts flowing. So a simple phenomenon which we take for granted is a momentous experience in his childhood. But how can there be a tap and the water starts running? I read in Tagore's book, My Reminiscences, that he would secretly spend his afternoons in his father's room, just lying on the sofa, or sometimes, um, I'll just quote here because I have it open in front of me, turning on the shower tap, I would indulge to my heart's content in an untimely bath. 
not so much for the comfort of it as to give rein to my desire to do just as I fancied. The alternation of the joy of liberty and the fear of being caught made that shower of municipal water send arrows of delight thrilling into me. That's lovely. So, Prithik, why did the Brits not give water to the whole city? Was it just because they could not afford to install a water system that covers all of One Calcutta? One of the problems is that if you want to establish any urban infrastructure, for example, water supply or roads or housing, you need taxation. In Calcutta, most people did not pay taxes. Now, there's then the question of why did not people have the money to pay for these taxes? And the reason is that there were fewer jobs. People had suffered economically in this period, which meant that the urban economy had suffered. Unless you see the exploitation of the economy of how much of what was being generated as revenue was being taken away from the country. So very little money was being left to develop the infrastructure of the cities. So you have this huge problem of colonial cities in Lagos, in Nigeria. You have the same problem in Bombay, in Calcutta, where unplanned, poor development of cities had presented this system, where it was almost impossible economically or even infrastructurally to build a large-scale water supply or urban development systems. And this is part of a large urban pattern where you see cities like Paris, New York, London increasingly investing in urban infrastructure. That is one of the reasons that epidemic outbreaks stopped in these cities. While you have a divergent histories of colonial cities of Calcutta, Bombay, Lagos, unable to do so. That is why epidemic outbreaks continued in this city. So if you ask a question, why couldn't these cities rid themselves of cholera? Cholera outbreaks stopped in Britain by the 1880s, while cholera outbreaks continue in Calcutta. One of the reasons is that there's a divergent history of urbanization in a global economic system, which is defined by colonialism in the 19th and early 20th century. I read in a paper by historian Sheldon Watts that in 1900, which was a year when India faced the Great Famine and at least 900,000 Indians died from cholera, the year after that, the Governor-General, Lord Curzon, claims that they have no more money at the moment to create local centres to provide clean water or to improve sanitation. And yet, that same year, the Brits take home from India 17,747,300 pounds. And separately, British merchants take home 15 million pounds in the year of the Great Famine. So, Prithik, are there takeaways that we have from the response to cholera that sort of apply in the case of COVID-19? Any similarities you see from history? One is the link between uh, cholera and poverty and COVID-19 and poverty. So you will hear in common discussions about COVID-19 that anybody can catch the disease. Increasingly, what we are seeing is the greatest price people are already paying in the disease are the poor, those who cannot isolate themselves. And even in Europe and other places where people in short-term contracts in the poverty lines are suffering more immediately. That was the same in cholera. Although bacteria does not make a distinction between who is rich or who is poor, it's the poor people with inadequate water supply systems, housing conditions, living conditions who suffer. So COVID-19 is reiterating the link between infrastructure, urban development, 
privileges, isolation, and poverty that keeps us taking back to the 19th century evidences of God. You were listening to Pratik Chakraborty on Chatroom on Scrolls and Leaves. If you want to learn more about the topics we discussed today, you can find some links on our website. That's scrollsandleaves.com/chatroom4. We'll meet in two weeks in another chat room. Bye for now.